0: All right, good morning. More than 175 years ago, one of the worst tragedies in American travel occurred during the westward migration. The wagon train journeys of the 1840s to California usually began at Independence, Missouri, around the 1st of May. Taking into consideration where rainfalls could wash out roads or flood riverbanks and where there might be grass to feed livestock along the way. Travelers had about 123 days to go 2,200 miles and be on the other side of the Sierra Nevada mountains before October ended. If not, they ran the risk of being stranded in Arctic-like conditions. On April 15, 1846, the families of James Reed and George and Jacob Donner departed from Springfield, Illinois to start a new life in California. About 100 miles from Independence, Missouri, the group of 31 joined a large wagon train. The trip was long. Hardships were many, and roads and trails were intermittent, muddy, and sometimes non-existent. But by June of that year, the wagon train had, had reached Fort Laramie, Wyoming. It was there that the Reeds and the Donners and other families decided to take the Hastings Cutoff. The cutoff would shave about 300 miles off of their journey, rejoining the California Trail on the other side of the Sierras. Considering a wagon could travel t- about 12 miles on a good day, that meant that saving 300 miles, they could arrive more than a month early. James Clyman, a traveler returning from the Hastings cutoff, advised the party against taking this shortcut. However, in early July, a group of 87 travelers in 23 wagons, led by George Donner, left the wagon train to follow the Hastings Cut-Off to California. After crossing the Great Salt Lake Desert in Utah, the Donner party stopped at Truckee's Meadows, which is present-day Reno, Nevada, to rest, but soon continued on. They soon found themselves caught in an early-season snowstorm, so they stopped and set up camp at the east end of the Truckee Lake, now called Donard Lake. There they remained as winter set in, and it was there that nearly half of them died from starvation, uh, starvation and illness before rescue parties, which failed repeatedly due to blizzards and deep snows, finally were able to reach them on February 19th, 1847. They took the survivors to Sutter's Fort by route of what is now known as Donner Pass. These pioneers of westward migration traveled a trail that was filled with obstacles. And when an easier way out or a shortcut became an option, they jumped at the chance. However, the easier trail became one that was riddled with suffering, loss, and hardship. Even despite the cautionary tale of the Donner Party, people still went westward. And has even been said that some of the Donner Party survivors told people to not be afraid of the journey west. They simply encouraged them to move swiftly and stay on course. As to avoid the same hardships of winter they faced if they too were going to blaze a trail to this new land of opportunity. People wanted to follow these pioneers. These pioneers who had led the way before them, and they were going to hopefully learn from their mistakes. We as humans typically want to fall into one camp or another, to be led or to be the ones who lead. The question is, where are we leading others to, and where are we following others? Are we following or leading towards places of worldly success and admiration that will ultimately let us down, that will spoil or fade, or towards the only one who will ever fully satisfy? The greatest pioneer of all, Jesus. While the Donner Party and other trailblazers throughout history are known for their bravery, sacrifice, and grit, there is only one true pioneer who unselfishly sacrificed himself on our behalf. And today, we are going to look at the deep love that Jesus has for us. So much so that we should be called children of God. Our verses today are going to remind us of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf and how he understands us because he was fully God, yet fully man. Today we're going to pick up right where Tim left off last Sunday in Hebrews chapter 2. If we've never met, my name is Ruth Silka. I'm a member of the teaching team here at COV, and I'm excited to dive into our scripture with you this morning. Our verses today begin a little bit kind of mid-thought, so we're going to go back one verse to help us get some context for today. So uh, the verses will be up on the screen. I invite you to follow along with me or open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2 if you closed them after the reading. We're going to start in verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Tim set the stage so well last week as he ended with this verse. And this verse reminds us that Jesus tasted death for us. He humbled himself for us. And he sacrificed himself for us. He defeated death for us. And we have this incredible opportunity to have a relationship with him, a personal and intimate relationship. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a little spoiler. Tim kind of did this last week too. Um, before we even begin our actual text for today. Okay, I'm pulling a uh, note from my teacher side. I uh, teach college students, and every lecture I give, we have three big things that we focus on. And today, I'm going to give you three big things to keep an eye out for throughout the sermon. All right, and they're up on the screen. The first is, we can have a relationship with the God of the universe who loved us enough to provide the pioneer Of our salvation okay that's the first one the second jesus broke the power of sin and death yet we so often run to anything but him and the third jesus is a faithful and merciful high priest who fully understands our human condition so kind of keep those in the back of your mind i will remind you at the end i promise but I hope that this morning, you really, as you think and ponder on those, that our hearts are open and willing to hear what God has for us. And you have to promise that you're not going to, you know, check out on me because I already gave you the three big things from the sermon today. Because we're going to expand upon those ideas this morning, and I really think God has much to teach us. All right, we're going to jump into our, our verses from the text this morning and go back and start in Verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. The picture of Jesus as the pioneer of our salvation goes far beyond the idea that we should follow his lead. Jesus came to earth with the mission to provide the basis on which salvation is offered to us. Suffering was necessary for Jesus to be the perfect pioneer of salvation. And Jesus' work was essential for God to make a way for us to be saved. Through Jesus' suffering, God qualified him to serve as the great high priest of his people. Jesus has been and always will be perfect. But his act of sacrifice on our behalf, on the cross, and his defeat over death, pulled us into the fold, offering us a way to be redeemed. Because God so loved us, he sent his Son, his one and only Son, to die for us. And not only is the Son crowned with glory, his glory is shared with those whom he saves. And when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we get to hold the title of son or daughter. And it's not because of anything that we have done. It is because of what the pioneer of our salvation did on our behalf. We'll continue to study how Jesus' faithfulness and his finished work on the cross offers us salvation as we keep going through our Hebrew series. For example, we're going to see this come up again in chapter 5. And we're going to take a little sneak peek there. So sorry for whoever's teaching these verses. Five, um, we're going to be in 5 verses 7 through 10. And this is what it says. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus willingly took our place so that he could become the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And not only are we saved through Jesus' work on the cross, we are also made holy and adopted into the Lord's family. Let's get back to our text for today in chapter 2, verse 11. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The author and perfecter of our faith, the one who saves us, is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Can we just pause for a moment and like really look at these ver- at these words up on the screen. Take a moment here to really begin to let this incredible gift sink in. That both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. We are sinful Beings by nature. Yet Jesus Christ, the pioneer of our salvation, is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus took our rightful place. This is what Jesus did for us. What he did on our behalf. And this is why when God the Father looks at us, he sees his son. Because the sacrifice that he made for you and for me. Romans 8, verses 12 through 17 talk about this idea as well. And we're going to be in Romans uh, quite a bit today. So I want to pause for just a moment and give us some context. So Romans was written by Paul to the church in Rome. And Hebrews was written to Hebraic Christians. So while Paul was speaking to Gentile Christians, making the original audiences different from Romans to Hebrews, I think that what we can see here are some really similar themes in both of the books. And since we believe that Scripture interprets Scripture, looking at Romans along with all of the other verses that we're going to be looking at today help us gain a clearer understanding of Hebrews chapter 2. So that's why we're bouncing around to a bunch of different places today. But let's get back to Romans chapter 8. This is what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Those who identify with Jesus also get to share with his glory. What a gift. As I was doing some study uh, this week for the sermon, I ran across this quote. It's going to be up on the screen in one of the commentaries that I was studying. And it says this, the fact that we are sanctified does not mean that we are without sin. It does mean that God has stamped his reservation on us. We are set aside to do his will. We will never be sinless like the perfect pioneer of our salvation, like the great high priest, son of God, who walked this earth. But it does mean that we are stamped with his seal, that we are part of his family, and we get to be called children of God. Sanctification is twofold. We are set apart as holy when we submit our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, but there's an ongoing element of spiritual growth And progression in our faith where we understand more of who God is and there is a deepening of our dependence upon him we never age out of sanctification it is a lifelong process and how do we make this a lifelong process I think if we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it gives us a really great idea of this. And this is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have brothers and sisters who have come before us or who are just a little bit ahead of us, who have lived with faith and perseverance spend time with these people, glean wisdom from these people. But we also must fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So often we want to run to anything but Jesus. Thinking that these things will help us to not grow weary or to lose heart. But the reality is, they are just a temporary fix. TV shows end, that closet gets filled up with all of the things that we've bought, food or drink only satisfy for so long, and even people won't be in our lives forever. But do you know the one thing that will always remain, that will never let us down? That's Jesus. Let's see what he has to say about the family of God in Hebrews 12, or 2, 12 and 13. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. The author of Hebrews is quoting Psalms 22:22 22, 22 in verse 12, and Isaiah 8, 17 through 18 in verse 13. Now the significance of these verses would not have been lost on the early church and the original audience of the book of Hebrews. They would have understood how David began Psalms 22 with a cry for deliverance and ended it with a proclamation of praise. And similarly in Isaiah 8, we see Isaiah's trust as he waits on the Lord. The author of Hebrews is showing how Jesus trusted God the Father, demonstrating that he was like other human beings who also must live by faith in the Father. Just as we read in Hebrews 5 verses 7 and 8, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, and we must follow his example. Let's see how Jesus also offers us freedom as we get back into verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus shared in our humanity. He was fully God, yet fully man. Made up of flesh and blood, giving up his position in the heavenly realms while he walked this earth. And he ultimately faced separation from God the Father as he entered into the chasm of darkness while he took on the sins of all humanity on his shoulders. Dying the death that we deserved and defeating death by rising again. Because of Jesus' resurrection, death has lost its sting. It has lost its power of fear. As we read in 1 Corinthians 15:54 through 58, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We deserve death because of our sin. But because of Jesus' death, which was not caused by his sin, he was sinless. We are covered by his victory. We get to take part in the victory of the cross if we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus' death, once and for all, proved that the devil devil no longer was the master of death. Colossians 2, 13-15 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What a victory. Jesus' death was a victory, not a defeat. Through his resurrection, he triumphed over sin and death, taking away our guilt and our shame and our defeat. In him and him alone will we find victory over sin and shame. romans 5 12 says this therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin in this way death came to all people because all sinned but the lord had a plan a plan to redeem his children and his creation and we're going to skip a few verses down in in romans chapter 5 to verse 20 and it says the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase but their sin increased Grace grace increased, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And even death cannot separate us from the love of God. We read about this encouragement in Romans 8, 35 through 39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. While we as human beings still face death, as believers and followers of Jesus, we know that this, even this will not separate us from our creator. Even in death, there's hope. Jesus' work on the cross took away the sting of death and the fear of separation from God and gave us freedom not only in this life, but for all of eternity. Because we are forgiven and we are set free. Now, I'm sure that there's many of us in this room that have been impacted by the death of someone that we love, or loved very much at some point in our lives. And while there is deep, deep sorrow in the loss of someone that we love, as believers, we can face this loss with hope through a couple different ways. The first is if we know that the person that we have lost was a believer, We know that they are face-to-face with their Savior. When I think of this beautiful reminder, um, I think of my grandmother. She was a faithful follower of Jesus and a woman who loved well, who prayed fervently for people and made her faith known. And towards the end of her life, she became so frail. She faced many health challenges, and at the end of her life, physically, she was just a a shadow of the grandma that I remembered from my childhood. But when she took her last breath, she saw her Savior face to face. She was relieved of her physical, earthly pain and suffering, and she gets to be with Jesus. She's far better off. And as scripture tells us in First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, we do not grieve as those without hope because Jesus died and rose again and he is coming back again one day to raise the living and the dead. For those of us who believe, we can rest in this truth of what eternity will be like for those who have submitted their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. But even if we have lost someone who we aren't sure had a saving faith in Jesus, we know that we have a great and mighty comforter who will walk with us through that pain and loss. And we get to experience this deep, deep love that God has for us because Jesus faithfully followed the will of God the Father to atone for our sins. And because of this, we can have a deeply, personal and intimate relationship with him. Let's see what verses 16 and 17 in Hebrews say about this. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. In a spiritual sense, Abraham's descendants refers to all believers, those who share in his faith. Galatians 3.29 talks about this. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When Jesus humbled himself to enter the world as a baby born of a virgin, living a perfect, sinless life. For a time, he stooped lower than the position of the angels. But by doing so, he provided a way for us to have a direct connection to God the Father through his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. Jesus is the perfect high priest, He is a merciful and faithful high priest. For those who served in the Aaronic order of priesthood, mercy was not necessarily a required quality. While they were expected to deal as a priest with wayward souls in a gentle way, mercy was not placed as a high requirement. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And Jesus' own suffering made it possible that we get to experience mercy. He faithfully took our place, allowing us to receive grace and mercy instead of death and separation. I'm going to have another quote that's up on the screen from the same author, um, Thomas Lee, uh, who I think... This, I don't know, this really hit me in a, in a deep way, and it says this. Jesus did in reality what the Old Testament sacrificial rituals could only do in symbols. It was not that Jesus' death satisfied the angry demands of a peevish God. The truth is that God himself provided the payment for our sins because of his ever-abiding love. The people of the time in Hebrews when this was written would have fully understand the idea of sacrificial ritual. The idea that Jesus did in reality what ritual could only do in symbol takes it from religion to relationship. From impersonal to personal. Romans 5, 8 confirms this love, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He not only died for us, he also understands our temptations, and he will help us. Let's wrap up with verse 18 in Hebrews 2. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is also able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus can help us. His ability to help us is based on his experience with temptation to sin, not with sin itself, because he was sinless. But Jesus was tempted, and we can read about this in math, and how he was tempted in the desert in Matthew chapter 4 and also in Luke chapter 4. And if he resisted temptation without sinning, why do we so often run to anything else but him for help to resist temptation and sin. He is literally the expert on being sinless, the only sinless man who ever walked the earth. And I know I am guilty of ignoring him, of looking to worldly things to help, or just let's be honest, depending upon myself to muster up enough strength To avoid temptation or to overcome some sin I'm struggling with in life. But we have a good and perfect pioneer of our faith, the merciful and faithful high priest who is standing there, loving us and waiting for us to come to him. May we go to him. Maybe not wander through the storms of life like the Donner Party looking for an easier way out or a shortcut. I know that I can be guilty of looking for a shortcut, especially to growth or spiritual growth. That will get me there a little bit faster and a lot less painfully. I will say as I've reflected on honestly probably the last four years of my life. There's been many times where I have wanted to take a shortcut to growth. And honestly, I think a lot of times I have, or I've tried. But the times that I have tried to to avoid growth through pain or through conviction, I just end up being stuck like the Donner Party in a blizzard, frozen because my motivation is not in the right place. As I've prepared for my sermon this week, three questions have been popping up in my mind that I've been kind of processing through and thinking about. And um, specifically in regard to my obedience and submission to the Lord. The questions are this, there's three. What am I not willing to stand for? What do I run to instead of Jesus? And how am I doing instead of trusting? Let me explain all these a little bit. So you remember our three big things that we started with at the very beginning? I told you I'd come back to them. They all connect to these questions that I've been pondering. Imagine that. The Lord is creative in his way of teaching us. And I'm going to show you how these connect, okay? So this will be up on the screen. The first is the first big thing, big thing one We can have a relationship with the God of the universe who loved us enough to provide the pioneer of our salvation. I think this answers the question, what am I not willing to stand for? Makes me ponder about that. Am I bold in sharing this good news that I know? The gospel. And where am I in my life sheepishly avoiding adding Jesus to the conversation? We can skirt around the gospel and the way that Jesus impacts our lives so easily. It's easier to take that route, right? To be politically correct and not offend anybody. I have been so convicted that I do this often because I don't want to make somebody else feel uncomfortable. But I'm not standing up for what I believe and for the thing that makes me who I am. Because my identity is in Jesus. And if it is, then that should exude out of every part of my life. Okay, big thing number two. Jesus broke the power of sin and death, yet so often we run to anything but him. And this, I think, makes us ponder about the question, what do I run to instead of Jesus? We can want to run to things of this world because they're tangible. They make us feel better but they only bring about temporary relief. Okay, I know I'm guilty, binge, TV binge watchers out there, right? Um, just making my mind busy, filling up my day with things, running to, uh, oh, you know what? I deserve a treat, so I'm going to stop and get myself this because things have been really hard. That's running to anything but Jesus. He is the one that will satisfy Okay, and big thing three. Jesus is a faithful, and merciful high priest who fully understands our human condition. How am I doing instead of trusting? And I would add to that, how am I thinking instead of trusting? We can fill our days and busy ourselves and trying to fix things by ourselves, and we get caught up in the doing and the thinking Just keeping ourselves busy when the Lord is simply asking us to trust him, to rely on him, and to fix our eyes on Jesus. We live in a world that is constantly bombarding us with things, with distractions, and we give in to them all the time. Something that I was really convicted of, um, I don't know, several weeks ago now, is that I don't ever sit quietly with the Lord. I don't like silence. I've never really enjoyed it. Um, I grew up in a loud house with lots of people, and so noise was normal to me. And one thing that I've made myself start to do which is so hard is when I'm driving to work during my commute in the morning, I don't turn on a music or a podcast or whatever until I have sat quietly with the Lord. It is not easy. Okay? I love my podcasts. Give me a true crime podcast. It makes that drive go so much faster. But I have forced myself to sit quietly and to pray. And it has become this sweet moment and time with the Lord. Now, do do I do it perfectly all the time? No. I will admit, last week I turned on my podcast um, before I did that. But the, the heart motivation is there. Jesus didn't get what he deserved. He instead took our place. And we get to benefit from God's mercy through Jesus' finished work on the cross. And my hope is that you would ponder through some of these questions and ideas and the things that we know that Jesus did for us and that it would make real impact on your heart. All of these questions and the themes from our text today have been challenging me to examine the condition of my heart. Because if I answer all these questions honestly, they will reveal the condition of my heart and my motivation. I want to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, whose eyes are fixed on him, the author and the perfecter of my faith. And I pray for each of us that we would be willing to faithfully follow the Lord through the storms and the blessings of life, always remembering the sacrifice, the perfect pioneer of our faith made on our behalf. And boldly proclaiming this good news in all that we say and we do. Jesus loves us more than we will ever fully be able to comprehend. Do we live in this love? And do we love others like he loved us? My prayer for each of us today is that you would feel the loving arms of your heavenly father wrap so tightly around you and as you remember that we can be called sons and daughters if we place our faith in him as Lord and Savior. And may we boldly follow the perfect pioneer, the one who took our place. And may our lives bring him glory and honor, the glory and honor that is due his name. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross and what you did on our behalf. May the incredible gift of that act sink deeply into our hearts this morning, especially as we move into a time of remembrance through communion. We thank you and praise you in your name. Amen.